Fellas, it is 10.30 p.m. Pacific time. Mm-hmm. I'm still holding out. I still think he's getting arrested. <laughs> wait, I wait. believe. I believe. Uh, are, are we talking Aaron Rodgers for telling the truth? <laughs> the deep state? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, joking aside, I, I saw everyone was talking about this on Twitter, and luckily I've been, uh, you know, uh, peacefully offline for a, a few weeks, actually, now. And I saw everybody going on about this. I literally have no fucking idea what anybody's talking about. <laughs> like, why? Why is he? Uh, why are his days numbered this time for real? Uh, walls wh- closing oh, in. Why are the walls closing in once again? Well, you oh, took it seriously. You saw the flashes <laughs> across your feet and were like, "Oh, damn! It's really happening." Yeah, no, I did. Like, I, I, I'm in the boat that Brian's in, where I literally did not see any build up to this at all, and then suddenly people are like tweeting and showing that like i don't know people are waiting like the nypd shut down like uh streets in anticipation of trump getting arrested and stuff and like you know well i saw accounts that you know well like maybe not real news accounts are like people who i I would not think would be taken in by such things who and granted we're just saying stuff like uh this will like could be the funniest day on twitter ever but seemingly giving it any credence whatsoever so um. Why is uh, Donald? Why are the walls closing in this time? Oh, what, what happened? What 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 has changed? What, what precipitated this this panic? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'll read you. This statement was released. Illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan District Attorney's office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime, and whose leader is funded by George Soros, indicate that. With no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest. Take our nation back. This statement is the reason that people were panicking about this. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. So, oh, wait, there was wait, wait. no comment about this until this that, comment. That is the that, comment okay. from former President of the United States at real Donald Trump on Truth Social. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's kind of a great tweet now. Like, <laughs> right? Honestly, it's a pretty good tweet. Now. It, now read, like it, like, it read like a Trump tweet, but then it was like going in that different direction where I'm like, why is he now talking in the third person? You know, like well, that, the, that wouldn't make sense. Well, that he just sounded too serious about it being a gravity thing that it. was going to happen. Yeah. yeah, right. Gravity of it. Yeah, that's yeah. What, that's, the, what, that's why he's talking in the third person because he's it's the office, right? Yeah, it's not he's he's not talking about the man. Do you think he thought he was going to be? Right? Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, he's implying that he was yeah. at this. At I mean, this, this point is the most life. full of shit man who's ever lived. What well, has done? I mean, just countless crimes like completely at a out comical level yeah yeah extremely well documented crimes and i'm not talking about like as president i'm talking about his just business career yeah. over the entirety of his life that are all extremely well documented and stuff like that well documented at the time and has never faced arrest right why would he think he was going to be arrested I, now? he doesn't think he's gonna be arrested like it's bullshit but like there is this ongoing you know case that'll never go this never yeah, going like stormy anywhere. daniels just this got stormy like daniels subpoenaed or yeah. something right it's that, it's oh. them, they're prosecuting on, on <laughs> campaign <laughs> finance violation for paying stormy daniels with the campaign check for sex and they're gonna they they're pretending they're gonna ding him on campaign finance bullshit 
And I, I mean, so like, this was him it's all about campaign just getting finance. some juice, man. man. This is just sucks. him getting some juice. We have to get that rid of sucks. political science departments. Like, <laughs> like that anybody would th- care about this in any way. This is political science nonsense. These people need to be gotten rid of. Like the idea that the pay, paying somebody for sex is like the least scummy thing that politicians do with their like campaign financing. So I, who gives a shit? No, that's why it's who the bullshit cares? thing. That of all the crimes this man has committed, this is what we're going to commit to. No, we're not going to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, not This is who all am I kidding? This is also nothing. This is nothing. It's bullshit. <laughs> do we know if this is? You know how like there's I think a very credible theory, and I do kind of believe it that his 2016 campaign wasn't real. That he was just trying to negotiate like a new apprentice contract. Yeah, 100%. Yes. 100% oh yeah. Oh yeah. I believe that. Do we think that this is a similar situation where maybe like him and Stormy are negotiating some like uh, maybe they could do their own version of Shark Tank you know very possible <laughs> or like the voice or something what are they what are they, uh, what are they evaluating yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is campaign well, yeah. well they're getting each other's names yeah, right. you know, out in the public right this is campaigning thinking of them you know he now he is potentially running for president no, again. He, I mean, he had announced it. This is like he's an, he is running. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. He's I mean, not, <laughs> not an honest broker. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, probably. But like, you know, this is just like juicing up his people. Uh, him as the the underdog, who's the whole you know deep state is against him, and you can come out on the street and feel like the old magic again. You can participate. You know, you can get in on the the plan or whatever. Try to salvage the plan. Welcome back to Mechanical Freak, the podcast about whatever we want it to be. That's right. (laughs) We're on the boat once again. Yeah, in person. Mm -hmm. Old school. Back to back, baby. And something about being on the boat <laughs> leads me to make uh, claims on Mike that are potentially litigatable. And I just want to say uh, sorry, that it was all uh, satire. That was My a parody. commentary on political scientists and yeah. their future is satire. Also, uh, I feel like I should get a pass because I am a political scientist. <laughs> and there's nothing that I say that they shouldn't get that I want for my that I don't want for myself. Brian so. gets the credible threat press, everyone. You know, he's yeah. one of them, so it doesn't yeah. count. And, and as me and Greg have said multiple times, like when we've said that the, the political scientists should all be put in a camp somewhere that we would go. Yeah. You'd be the capos. You'd be the capos, or if necessary, uh, like the I'd be like Alex. Guinness in Bridge on the River Kwai. I would I'd build the bridge for whatever whatever <laughs> empire was was uh, the enemy of political science. I mean, yeah. honestly, yeah. If, they, if they if they rounded up all the political scientists and put us in a work camp, I would respect the regime too much not to go. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, this is the only government I've ever respected. <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, we've got a local story. A, a law enforcement story, a it's a Boeing story. <laughs> so one story. Yeah, all, all in one. <laughs> yeah. bit, but, well, this uh, is the um, we got a we got a drop from Dominic Gates, our favorite, the guy who brings us I, the info. Yeah. I got my alert going on my phone anytime anytime Dom has something to say. <laughs> the, the the reporter from Boeing, the Boeing <laughs> mouthpiece. Um, uh, 
Uh, Historically correct. Um, never misses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you bet on uh, Boeing will be fine, you will be historically correct. It's just all the little details from here to there yeah. is wrong about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So this is Dominic Gates in Seattle Times. The, the headline. As bailiffs seize jets from Canadian airline, Boeing order in the balance. <laughs> I love, like, <laughs> already, I mean, it's, a, it's such a tempting headline. Yeah. Really, a lot of mystery in it, honestly. I mean, I get it. It's like, at one time, like, this, this you know, this would be, this is like local economic reporting. Sure, yeah. how that's framed, right, is like the local industry, you know, and I guess that's still true to some degree, though they've moved most of it out. Well, the corporate part's all in Chicago, yeah, it's not even in the state anymore. And they build them all over the world, you know, um... But, uh, yeah, it's like, I guess that is the Boeing order hangs in balance is, I guess, part of the takeaway here. But, um, okay, so in the early morning Canadian cold on March 11, the beginning of spring break for school-age kids in Ontario, families duly assembled at the region of Waterloo International Airport west of Toronto to fly on Flair Airlines to the sun in Orlando, Florida. Dom knows how to paint a picture, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm already excited. Flare Airlines? I mean, it might as well be called Flare Lines. If, <laughs> what a, it's right there at the, on the table. By the way, when you miss just easy stuff like that, it kind of makes you feel like this is a fly-by-night operation. I'm sure that's not what we're going to find out, though. Well, when they're, what they're selling you is flair, when what you need is a comfortable, <laughs> safe ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, okay. But more than three hours before the 7.20 a.m. flight, in the dark of night, quote-unquote, as Flair CEO Stephen Jones later expressed it, bailiffs arrived at the airport to take ownership of the airplane, a Boeing 737 MAX. At this point in the article, I was thinking, oh, did the Canadians decide that these just can't be allowed to fly in their airspace? Because that would make sense to me. Yeah, that'd be funny, but uh, oh no, that is definitely not what happened. Now, I I will say this is one of the funnier evictions you're going to read about, uh, you know. The repo men came to uh, flare lines. Yeah, uh, they literally sent the repo men. (laughs) (laughs) As the sun rose, two police vehicles drove out to the tarmac and parked alongside the jet. Officers got out and inspected <laughs> like an documents. Kind of shit, right? Like the, the cars are on the tar- tarmac, you know? Like, wee woo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm picturing like a a guy, like uh, an officer, like reading a piece of paper, flapping in the wind, like with his gun, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> follow along with the words, <laughs> using the light attached to the gun to, yeah. like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. Officers got out and expected documents citing non-payment of the airplane lease. The paperwork in order, the bailiff seized the airplane, and the flight was abruptly canceled. Families were left stranded and with no alternative flight from Flair that morning, scrambling to find another way to get to Orlando. <laughs> They've made a few mistakes uh, <laughs> away here. saved by the police at this yeah. point. This the, the one instance we can find of the police helping people out by yeah. not allowing them to get to Orlando. Not <laughs> allowing them to get to Orlando on a Boeing 737 Max. Yeah. Like, you're yeah. Fu- you bullet dodged. Like, yeah. m- 
hail of bullets. Dog. You know when, like, in AA, how they say, like, you gotta, like, hit, like, rock bottom or something? I think that <laughs> this is, like, the epitome of rock bottom. Mile when, high like, rock bottom. Yeah, well, yeah, when you're, like, flying uh, Flare Airlines on a 737 Max to Orlando, Florida, it's like, <laughs> and, and it gets compromised by, like, a repo man seizing it. Like, you gotta just reevaluate your life <laughs> yeah. at that point. Yeah, seriously. Okay, the repossession of scheduled airliners for non-payment of monthly rental charges is rare in North America. Behind this incident is a new business model. Ooh, my. Uh, ooh, I'm getting a tingling uh, feeling. New dropped. business. Uh, ooh, financial innovation is what I smell. Hmm. Uh, I, I feel a bank at work somewhere. Um, behind this incident is a new business model for buying jets created by... Miami-based investment firm. Ooh, ooh, yeah, getting that 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 uh, jolt up my spine. Miami-based investments firm Seven 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 Partners that Boeing enthusiastically embraced. Actually, uh, that's a that's oh yeah, a good turn of phrase from yeah so... uh, from Mr. Gates. Lately, it's not going smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically, um, yeah. Boeing came up with this idea that they teamed up with 777 Partners, which was instead of purchasing a plane outright, what if you just lease it and pay us a monthly fee with, at the end of like a 10-year you know, period, uh, maybe you have an option to buy. So it's essentially doing like the car lease for yeah. planes. And the funny thing is, they're doing it for the exact same reason the car, the, the, the auto companies came up with the car lease, right? Which is that, oh, it turns out nobody can afford to buy cars anymore. So therefore, we'll create this leasing program that still manages to completely fleece them, right? Yeah. But gets past that sticky point of having money up front and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, increasingly, Boeing, they have this huge overstock, particularly of 737 Maxes for some reason. And, <laughs> this is their way of unloading them. They need to unload them. So, uh, in 2020, they had some 500 737 Maxes that they were having to just like shelve because of finished complete planes. They're having to shelve because of the you know the, the crashes, and um, because of the because they don't fly good because they don't fly good. And uh, I was reading there was an article that came out just last week. Uh, I have it right here. Oh, the Northwest News Network or whatever uh, that basically was talking about how. At Moses Lake in eastern Washington, on the old air base, they have stored somewhere between 100 and 150 of these 737 Maxes to just sit there in perpetuity, right? Because it's like, you know, low moisture, dry environment, right? And they've been doing this since the crashes. And Boeing finally came out and just told the engineers there, yeah, maybe because Boeing had to send a bunch of engineers and maintenance tax and stuff to watch it to maintain these planes. Well, and this is to, to slowly do the the actual fixes that makes them flyable, I think, yeah, too, right? Yeah, to try and do, like, repairs. But also they have to just be maintained, you know? Yeah. I mean, each one of those planes is about $100 million, right, sale price, right, just mm -hmm. hanging out there, right? And so um, they finally told a bunch of these engineers and stuff, like, uh, maybe just buy a house out there. Mm -hmm. Like, don't expect to come back to 
Seattle anytime soon, right? Essentially imply that like the movement of these planes off the airfield is not really going the way Boeing would like it to, which by the way, hilariously getting into the stuff we'll talk about later is leading to uh, spikes in the Moses like housing market as these like engineers who are making 200 grand a year, are, like <laughs> buying houses in Moses Lake, like way over, you know, value and descending market. on it. Yeah, yeah. Fucking the Moses like, uh, you know, housing market. But, um, but yeah, so they, they have to find a way to unleash the or to get rid of these planes. Now, the leasing idea, it, when I heard that, it just made me think I was like, I know I've heard this story before. <laughs> and back in 2003, real heads might remember a little scandal between the U.S. Air Force and Boeing Corporation, where Boeing had signed a deal with the Air Force to replace the aging tanker fleet with 767, new, brand new 767 tankers, right? And the Air Force was going to buy 100 of these tankers. And did I say the word buy? Sorry, lease 100 of these tankers. And finally, somebody pointed out, well, it's fucking weird that the Air Force is leasing them. Like, it would be so much cheaper to just buy them outright, and then you'd have them. Like, the Air Force has tankers in operation today that are 40 years old, right? Like, it would yep. make way more sense to just buy it outright. And then, all of a sudden, there was a congressional hearing into this weird purchase that the Air Force had made, right? This weird deal. And this woman right here, which I just love her picture, uh, Darlene oh, wow. Druyan ended up being at the center of this. Now, she was the head of Air Force acquisition when the deal was inked. At the time that they looked into this, though, she mysteriously had a CEO position at Boeing. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> Could you believe it, right? How'd she get that? Wait, what? <laughs> How does that happen? Oh. So they had to have these huge hearings. They ended up scuttling the contract. They then forced the contract reopen to new bidding, to which Airbus got the contract deal. <laughs> and Boeing then had to pull all of its strings in Congress to get the deal pulled from Airbus because it was an issue of national security. <laughs> <laughs> reopen the contract again, have them then find a way to backtrack and give it back to Boeing. Keep in mind, not a single thing has been made or delivered at this point. Boeing then proceeded to fumble that contract for another 10 years, not building a single one of these planes, until uh, 2019 when they finally started to deliver them, at which point <laughs> the Defense Department was like, there's literal garbage like inside the plane. <laughs> the quality control is so bad. Like there's like Coke cans like in the plane and force Boeing to take all the planes they delivered back. Right. And basically we're like, are we gonna have to get out of this contract again? And it was just such a funny rabbit hole going down this because this was the first year that Boeing was supposed to <laughs> deliver one of these 767 tankers, 20 years in the making. Right. And uh turns out, uh, the Air Force went, inspected the planes, were like, yeah, we're not taking deliveries. They're still trash. And then she got, like, convicted of a crime? Oh, she got convicted of a crime back in, like, 2005. Oh, This is wow. just where the story's gone since then. Oh. But, you know, it's just incredible that, you know, this venerable manufacturer of planes seems completely incapable of making them anymore. It's just looking for a scam. I mean... And it's like, just on scam. What's funny about that just is, like, with scams. the Air Force story is, like... What what could possibly be easier for Boeing than selling the Air Force planes? Bro, you had to come like, up with shoot a dart and like name a price, man. Like you know, like, but you had to come up with a, a an unusual and obviously flagged scam of like leasing them, which is like yeah. that, that just sounds like the minute you hear that, like a bi a major contract where you're leasing planes to the U.S. to the Defense yeah. Department, like that sounds insane. 
but this is what's on their mind. And then they got someone in procurement to do that and yeah, reward yeah. them. And then, then, then this just like this shit just has like, uh, so, I mean, the, the, the problem here as I mean, and this is, again, this is the, this is the valence of the article here. The, um, let me just continue. The Miami firm has unfilled orders pending for 34 maxes. Yeah. But in the final months of 2022, the firm couldn't take 11 maxes it had scheduled for delivery, and Boeing scrambled to find other lessors for the uh, who took the planes. It's like, okay, I guess that's what the Times is interested in, is the orders uh, yeah. not coming through on these, these shit boxes. But like, and fair enough, whatever. But like, what, why are people leasing fucking planes? Like, what? Because what, nobody why? can afford to buy them anymore, and everything has, and haven't been able to afford to buy planes for a long time because the dynamics of air travel, which we actually talked about a little bit on, like, uh, you know, our Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. episode on Patreon stuff, the dynamics of air tra- travel changed in the last forty years, in that no airline makes money off of actually flying anymore. Right? They, yeah. they make money on every other way, but flying. And even then, none of them make money. Like, no private airline in the world makes money. And so it puts Boeing in this tough spot of, we have these planes that are incredibly expensive, more expensive than they've ever been, just like everything else. Uh, Some of them don't fly. But how do we get people to purchase them? And it's become increasingly impossible. The other big Boeing deal that came out this month was that uh, Air India is going to buy 120 Boeing planes, including 80 737 Maxes. And... This is a huge order, right? It's important, but it turns out they're buying, I think, some 180 planes from Airbus. So this is basically just like the overflow Airbus couldn't fill. And at the same time, it was interesting in the article, uh, I was reading this longer article in Aviation Weekly about like where the funding came from. And you know they didn't know exactly how they were going to fund it. Uh, they did point out that... Uh, <laughs> that eight other airlines in India have gone out of business in the last 10 years. Uh, so maybe doing such a big contract with an Indian airline is like a little questionable. But apparently from their inside sources, uh, Bank of America is who's going to provide the funding for this operation via a multi-billion dollar loan to Air India. So, you know, we know Bank of America is stable. They only make good choices. Yeah. Go wrong. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, but that's why I bank there. Yeah, and I mean, and, and some people might remember, it, you know, when Boeing was in trouble again in 2008, 2009, that the Obama administration flew an entire entourage to India to negotiate mm-hmm. a massive airline deal for Boeing uh, that involved State Department guaranteed loans and things like that. So, I mean, I don't know. That's why I was looking to see if that happened this time. It's a little unclear. Nobody quite knows the financing. But what it comes down to is air travel is inherently not profitable airlines and building planes is inherently not profitable. They make like maybe, maybe a cent per ticket, like on, you know, on the actual like ticket sale. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like, which is why almost every country has a nationalized airline because you like, literally it's fucking stupid to have private. You just bail them out every time. Yeah. Right. Right. You just, you, you nationalize their debts and privatize their profits. Right. Yeah. Uh, Where in the thing is, is like the creation of, planes too it's the reason why airbus is like a consolidated like international effort between multiple countries in europe it's like not a particularly profitable business if you're not just being constantly bailed out by 
the government, right? Which Boeing is just would not be profitable if the federal government wasn't just constantly pumping money into it, right? And, and the state government. Yeah. And so the private side of Boeing has to figure out to, how to unleash this shit, right? How to get rid of all this stock. And they're just going with every trick in the book, including just doing what the automakers do now, which is just fucking leasing them, which is Leasing insane. is hilarious, man. It's like, insane. Commercial airlines, that's hilarious. Like, the fact that you can lease, like, tankers and stuff yeah. to, like, the DOD. and It's insane. It's nuts. That... And, and the, seven, the 777 Partners Group sounds insane. They were at the Paris Air Show like bragging that they were ordering 66 new, you know, 737 Maxes. And then, of course, when Gates was like, when Boeing was asked, there's no order for that on the books anywhere, <laughs> whatever. I mean, these are these are con men, right? I mean, look, they're financiers out of Miami. I'm sorry. Right? Like, Any financier out of Miami, <laughs> you, you're, you're going to get what's coming to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Like, this is all, but this is who Boeing's in bed with, right? Because who's who's left? Who's left to buy shit? Well, who, and who are they? I mean, think about what we're talking about. We're talking about bank, like banking, airlines, and Boeing. All like <laughs> institutions that like exist to be bailed out. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, yeah. none of this. This is all just bullshit. Just keeping whatever mm -hmm. afloat. You know. And talk about moral hazard, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Boeing. You know, part of the consolidation. You know, when McDonald Talk was like given to Boeing in ninety ninety one. Um, part of that consolidation was the acknowledgement that like these companies don't really work in any sort of private market, right? And so you might as well just consolidate into one thing and then just have a never ending like pump of money from the state going into it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, th this is why for Boeing, the behavior is fine or engaging in leasing is fine, engaging in essentially dangerous behaviors is fine. It's because they'll always get bailed out. Right, they're a necessary industry for the national defense, so they can't go out of business. Essentially, air travel yeah. for consumers too. You know, like yeah, no matter what they do, it's a they national security risk. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Any sane country would just like a lot of countries would nationalize that, right? Just like yeah. we'd nationalize rails or uh, nationalize our banking system, right? You like there's yeah, it, it, well, it's things it's, that should probably be socialized and nationalized that simply. From just like the insane like capitalist structure, like our <laughs> uh, country has, and just like the baked in ideology where we cannot have anything actually like owned or ran by yeah. you know, the state. Uh, we basically have a state enterprise that like monopolizes uh, profits. Yeah. <laughs> and everything else, basically, the losses are socialized still. Yeah, and in any given year, I mean, some 40 to 45% of Boeing's business is just straight Defense Department money. So 40 to 45% of all revenue literally is just coming straight from the federal government. Uh, while at the same time, like huge portions of the commercial business are also funded by the federal government, <laughs> the state government subsidized in various ways. And, you know, for all that money that we put into it, we should probably, like as the quote-unquote taxpayer or whatever, but all that money that we put into it collectively we should be a little more upset that what Boeing chooses to do with that money primarily is stock buybacks for their, <laughs> you know, for their board members, right? Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, I mean, juicing up their zombie-ass stock, because even with their big stock buybacks, their stock has not recovered from COVID and their 737 max fallout either, right? Yeah. like The max thing is a big deal. Just Uh, incredible. Yeah, we're trying to play it off in the region, but... That's, that continues to be a, a really big problem. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Uh, I think um, Saudi Arabia just, like, made a huge order for, like, seven. Damn, I wonder who got them to buy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the big thing is, like, selling to, like, Saudi Arabia to, you know, the Emirates, right? Like, this has basically been where all the new plane purchasing is. Yeah. And essentially, it's just... Again, no new ideas under the sun. We we're just doing like petrodollars again, essentially. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like, look, we guarantee your oil. You have to buy some of our bullshit. Now. Yeah, like, come even on. If you're just gonna like buy my son's treats. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna recycle the aluminum to build a uh, neom. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to get the line going. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I, I, I have seen, I have seen, um, a PDF of the line by the way like yeah. i know so like i'm not gonna name names but i know someone who may work for an agency who like is contracted for by saudi to do the line it's just like this like you know american agency you oh, know yes. and the renders that they have that this document is 216 pages <laughs> and full of detailed renders of the vision of the line and how they're going to design it, right? Oh, and yeah. how they're going to build it. I Someone's cannot wait. I no, cannot amazing. wait. I had the joy over the weekend of explaining the line to somebody who had no idea what it was. <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was beautiful. What's great, what's great is like, you know, when the economy was taking a bad turn in the uh, the... Egyptian old kingdom, you know, <laughs> they didn't have like re- a lot of levers with monetary policy, you know. Uh, they built the pyramids to put people to work, you yeah, know, to get cash out. Pyramids were their MMT, yeah, and you know, now we've developed, you know, what Saudi Arabia is doing is like y- you can you can do that same kind of thing without actually having to build it, you can put yeah. all of this like design and marketing and hype work into it and just barely ever start construction and that'll do it'll do all the same thing as you know that they couldn't that's a technology they bullshit is a technology they hadn't like figured out uh, in ancient egypt you know well maybe our like grand uh pyramid type project the u.s can engage in is just building one plane that flies (laughs) like in all weather and all you know whatever just one plane that flies the Orlando shot. <laughs> By the end of the decade, we will fly to Orlando. <laughs> we're, not do, we're doing it because it is hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, I, you know. Yeah, it's very funny. The article I was reading about the, the current tanker problems, like, even made a side swipe about it. Like, look, it's not the F-35. This should have been easy to build. <laughs> the funny part is, what's what's hanging it up besides the poor construction, which is what's why they can't take the order right now, but what was hanging them up for years was the... Um, the the umbilical cord the uh, the the pump that comes off right for yeah. flight refueling, um, Boeing was like, well, let's make it like uh, you know uh, joystick controlled from the pilot, right? So in the previous like KC uh, seven KC seven, anyway, the previous uh, 
planes, the previous tanker planes, was there was a guy who was like on the backside of the plane yeah. looking through a window. Who so were like they trying to it, save right? on the labor? Yeah, yeah. So they could get it down to just the pilot, like joysticking it like a video game. And it While turned, he's flying the plane, like yeah, yeah, I guess. And it turns out this doesn't work very well. So they were just smashing it into the plane they were refueling, essentially. After the just time. dick slapping, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> which the problem is, they're potentially refueling like F thirty fives and shit, which could cause them like just touching it with that. They could just cause the plane to yeah. explode or <laughs> eject the pilot oh, at the bottom of the tanker or something. I, you know, so. uh, you it's. Know. Yeah, it, a literal like seventy-year-old technology. They're fucking up. Like, yeah, been refueling planes in air for literally well, seventy years. And at least from what I was reading, it was making it very clear the Air Force did not ask for this. The Air Force was like, no, just a new version of the plane that we had. It works great. It's been in service for decades. Just you refuse to build the old one, so you're gonna you need to build a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were like, Sir Henry Ford once said that if I asked my consumers what they wanted, they'd want faster horses. All right, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna know. give these guys yeah. a car. They don't trust the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. To know what it wants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're artists. Like, read Steve Jobs' biography. And we're like, damn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, speaking of. Moonshots. <laughs> Someday, Seattle might have a real transit system. But will anyone be here to ride it? <laughs> uh, um, this is from The Stranger. So, preserve Chinatown or fuck over transit riders forever? Sound Transit's board makes, tough, makes a tough choice this week. This is from Hannah Krieg. This sums up the... Uh, pretty well, I think the the current um, consternation over final like decisions and how to implement SD three, the late the coming Sound Transit expansion that will go from like out to Ballard, West Seattle, uh, mm -hmm. and um, and all the way to Tacoma. Um, so and the key thing, the the last piece of the puzzle, I think that is being voted on. This week, that was delayed last year. And the plan is whether or not to put a station on the, this new line in the international district, uh, and which would put it basically across the street from mm -hmm. King Street Station. You know, the the transit hub that where you have Amtrak and and uh, and the yeah. Sounder and the other line the main line and so you have uh you know all these connections that was that was a plan okay so here we go uh sound transit board members only have two days left to weigh the importance of convenient regional transit in the face of climate catastrophe against the health of the last active chinatown in the pacific northwest on thursday they vote on a measure to lay out lay out the way to bring light rail to Ballard and West Seattle, which will either involve plopping a major transit hub on 4th in the Chinatown International District, 4th Avenue, or building stations farther outside the historic neighborhood. Though conflict over the best road to take led to a delay on the decision last year, King County Executive Dow Constantine said he's not interested in delaying the once-in-a-civilization decision again, as any dithering would cost the agency millions. You know, in any country other than America, 
you know, calling uh, building a simple piece of public transit a once in a civilization decision would sound like hyperbole. But honestly, well, hyperbole, case, you'd sound like a fucking idiot. If, yeah. Like, <laughs> but honestly, in America, that might be true, actually, at this point. It swings all the way back I mean, around. That is, the, that is a key part of the problem <laughs> underpinning this whole debate is the total ludicrousy of the whole thing. Yeah. No. Um. As discussions continue, elected officials keep coming out in support of the routes that delete the promised Midtown Station in First Hill and skip over the CID, a neighborhood that seemed all but destined to host the huge transfer, transfer station following voter approval of the light rail extension in 2016. Okay, so skipping ahead, uh, Krieg gives us a little history here. After Sound Transit's board ruled out the idea of placing the station on Fifth Avenue over concerns of wrecking Chinatown with construction, last July they delayed a decision on the issue in favor of continuing study and seeking community forth feedback on a Fourth Avenue shallow plan and other unspecified concepts to maximize benefits while minimizing costs and impacts. Okay, so the, the issue is like, do you build this... Uh, this mm. hub on Fourth Avenue of originally it was going to be on Fifth. Then the compromise is a a shallow station, meaning like less deep underground mm -hmm. and uh, thus less construction time. I think on Fourth, uh, which seemed to be you know somehow a compromise or something, and then you know now that is being the alternatives to that are being proposed have like no station in the international district on this line, no station near the other transit hubs, you know, of all the other shit and the stadiums, et cetera, you know, no close connection to King street station, but rather like much farther to the South and North. Yeah. So they're, they're crushed by the logic of the, if you were just in a vacuum, like what makes the most sense putting it right next to King Street Station makes the most sense, yeah. right? Yeah. You're right next to a bunch of other transit options. People riding the train up, you know, into King Street Station could then get off and easily get on the light rail to get to wherever they need to go within the city, you know? Like, it has that, like, layered sense that you want yeah. with public transit where, you you know, you take the sort of longer-distance option, get off, get onto the shorter-distance options and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's also a lot of touristy shit and everything right down that area or stuff that people want to get to, right? So, and so in a vacuum, there's like a certain logic of like sticking it right there, right? But the counter argument is. Well, um, yeah, so like that, and we can skip, well, like, let me just get a little bit of this here. Urbanists on Twitter lost their collective shit when both Constantine and Morales endorsed past that skip, past that skip the CID. Transit advocates argue that the North and South placement and the north of CID plan, these are the two alternative yeah. plans, will make for a much worse transit experience compared to the 4th Avenue proposal. Uh, as Stephen Fessler wrote in The Urbanist, snubbing the 4th Avenue proposal would constitute a serious blow to the transit system and forever punish transit riders. In their eyes, Sound Transit should do right by riders instead of building in predictable inconveniences. Uh, and we only have one shot to get it right. And yes, it's about then there's she gives a breakdown here of of the basic like arguments. Yes, it's about the sounder and Amtrak, like being able from this yeah. line that goes to Ballard that 
you know, without getting into all the geography, like it makes sense, you know, you want to be able to get from not just the main line, but from this, this other new line to the Sounder and Amtrak station. When you're coming from the south and east, you're going to have to like go up quite a bit out of your way in these other plans if you're trying to transfer to go other directions, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also means no no stop in on this line in the international district. And then there's uh, also just servicing Midtown is also a problem in some of these options because um, one of these alternatives skips a Midtown station as well. Um, well. I hate to say it in a vacuum. Sorry, but it's got a point. No, no. And that's the thing. Yeah, it's like, that's uh, what's, this is what got to hand it to is him. true about all yeah. of these debates, right? And now we're going to get into that when you, <laughs> when we get to, um, sometimes their point is lost even in a vacuum. But <laughs> yeah. In this case. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but neighborhood groups, neighborhood preservation groups who support the North and South placement with the powerful endorsements of Morales and Constantine have concerns. Displacement. Neighborhood preservation groups fear that a new regional hub would raise property values, drive up rents, and price commercial and residential tenants out of the neighborhood. Plus, all true. Yep. there's no plan for affordable housing on the 4th Avenue site, especially without first putting a lid over the station. By contrast, the North and South Station would give the county the opportunity to develop nearby public land for affordable uh, residential or mixed-use they will oriented development. Yeah. Yeah, they won't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, outside that last point, uh, Dow Jones Constantine makes some interesting points as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the reality is, is that once that station goes in, uh, the prices of everything around it are going to skyrocket, and actually probably well before the station's finished, right? That's um, what happened in Northgate. Yeah. Like, well, it was an open secret story. for years in uh, yeah. in, uh, <laughs> in yeah. real estate that, like, that was, like, the hype place to buy two years before that station yeah. was built, you know? Well, funny story, Amunia. Uh, they're building or going to open sometime in the presumably near future a station <laughs> at 145th, uh, in Shoreline, and I uh, guess who's getting kicked out of his fucking house because of it, you know, so that the urbanists can get what they want. Uh, they're going to, the house I'm reading is going to get knocked down by the owner and Holy shit. Uh, turned into uh, four townhomes on the property at significantly higher prices. Well, I'm glad that they upzoned it. That's more yeah. housing, Brian. Well, weirdly, though, they upzoned it, and they're going to put more units on the property, but somehow also all the units are going to cost more. So somehow, somehow like the, the, people the supply who live demand there... graph got messed up. We got more supply, yet the cost... So you're saying that you up. can't actually <laughs> live there. Yeah, so... And so, you know, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be forced out, and I'll probably be forced, you know, further and further out of the city. Um... No, but but I I don't know. I would the textbook says <laughs> I would say that's a win. The textbook says <laughs> that, epic win. Like the price should actually be lower because they're dividing up the land and using it for a lot more units. Yeah, it's right? more yeah, supply. Yeah, and the units are much smaller. So what you should yeah, do right, yeah. right. is move out and live in your car yeah. for the two years that it takes them to demolish your home and build these townhomes, and then walk up and rent for. Got to be what a quarter of what you're paying yeah, now. Yeah, just right? wait for the wait for the equilibrium to correct. Yeah, yeah. So I pay like almost eighteen hundred now, so the unit should be four hundred fifty dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's a that's a great discount. 
Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas, yeah, similar townhome units in the neighborhood, you know. In well, you know. North Seattle go for what? Yeah. Know? Urbanists always like to talk about the the fair brokers that are the, our real estate community. But uh, it turns out, uh, one, they were never, or who knows when they were going to tell us uh, that they were going to knock the house down that we had to be out. Uh, but. When did they tell you? Well, they still haven't told us. Oh. So what happened was... How did you figure it out? They were sending people over to our house to do all these, like, inspections without telling us. And we kept contacting the fucking... We go through a property management company, so we kept contacting them and being like, hey, the landlord keeps sending people over without sending us notice. He has to send notice. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we've been trying to talk to him, and, you know, we'll have to talk to him again. And sometimes landlords, you know, they just don't... You know, they think that just because they're not coming in the house, they can just send people over and all this kind of stuff, right? Because we just see people, like, at, like literally just outside like our window. Just, like, your window, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, because this kept happening, we decided to contact a friend and have all the, like, permits for our land parcel pulled. Like, they've been, you know, uh, permits have been filed for the parcel for, like, the last five, six years. And it turns out uh, that they have filed a building permit to put these townhomes on the parcel, right? They had also consolidated, the owners of the house had consolidated into an LLC back in around 2018, I think it was, uh, and have essentially been making maneuvers, including getting a loan from a bank in Idaho and stuff like that to obviously do this in anticipation of this light rail stuff. Of course, not telling the tenants, you know. Um, The irony, too was that because I was looking at all these permits, I saw the names of the owners, right? Who Before, I thought was just some guy who just owned this house at some point, right? Uh, and it turns out, you know, just checking around, you know, being a little suspicious, guess who owns the property management company that I go through? The fucking people who own our house and are redeveloping it. So when <laughs> our the person that we're talking to, the agent or where we're talking to is like, Oh, I guess I'm gonna have to talk to the owners again. You know these landlords. What we they can't mean get is, in contact yeah, with them. I have to lean backwards and say, <laughs> "Hey, Mike, you know, <laughs> what? You know, uh, the the people over at whatever are complaining again." Um, but you know, because I know now who the owners are, I can look at the property management company's site, see what they've done with similar sites, what they're renting them for. I mean, I think their intention maybe is to sell these, but if if they're renting them, similar items. So I pay seventeen seventy five. Similar uh, sites, right? That look like these townhomes that they want to build. They're sell it. They're renting for three thousand to thirty five hundred. So miraculously, despite the. Uh, the uh, supply and demand charts that urbanists read in their like first grade textbooks, <laughs> uh, it, somehow the price is going to double despite the you know uh, square footage decreasing and the amount of units uh, increasing, right? But so and, sorry, so you're against this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I guess personally, I'm against it. Brian, but, why do you hate transit? Well, and I mean, this is a funny thing we 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 joked about you know before <laughs> off air. I don't think we ever talked about on air. And I used to always like talk about with these people the perverse incentives of capitalism are that while I certainly would like easy access to light rail and stuff, everything about how capitalism works should make me oppose it being anywhere near my house, right? Yeah. Because the second it gets near my house, I can't. I'm not going to be allowed to live there anymore. I'm going to be thrown out, right? As I am. And well, so Brian, guess what? Brian. Even though that light rail station is getting built near my house. Guess who's never gonna get to use it? Fucking me. Mm-hmm. Like on your way out, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, <laughs> Take I, the light rail to your to uh, 362nd Street. Yeah, yeah. Which of course, by the time the light rail gets yeah. out there, I won't be able to, yeah, right. be able to live there either, right? <laughs> and 
But the thing is, this is what creates these perverse incentives. We talked about this a little bit. We talked about bike lanes. And, of course, urbanists being, like, little dumb babies. Literally just like, oh, they hate bikes. They all want to fuck cars and all this shit. But the thing is, is like, trying to explain. I mean, to be fair, I do hate bikes and the people who ride them. And we do like to fuck cars. <laughs> Watch out, parking lot. Yeah. But, um, We're using our Patreon money to buy, like, the most obnoxious, like, Ford truck, you know? just look, The ones that have, like, four wheels on, like, each. Oh, like, like you a, know, dually. a dual. Dude, yeah, I'm rolling you know, coal every time yeah. I start my uh, trooper in the coal. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> I think that that's, like, gassing a, people I out. think that's, like, urbanist image of us are, yeah. uh, like, you, well, know? you know? I mean, like, none of them believe this stuff. I'm, I'm gonna maybe shock some people. I think they're all dishonest in <laughs> their criticism. Systems of yeah. to critique them. Uh, I think they are mainly just liars who only really care about their own personal home values and stuff. Well, I was gonna say, this like is your gentrification mistake. as like a principle. Well, um, I mean, you fu- you're the one who fucked and up. Get you should have bought a house in yeah. this neighborhood, Brian. Why didn't you be, think of that, dumbass? Well, While also, interest rates were low, exactly well, before <laughs> any before it was known that the light rail was going in. Well, and for most urbanists, getting rid of people like me is the goal, yeah. right? Like, they don't want us living here anyways, right? So, well, like, and they're un- I think they know that and they're uncomfortable when when that's actually called out, right? Yeah, they don't yeah. want that image to actually be there. They're not, they're not as cynical to, like, embrace that and say, yes, you deserve to get yeah. kicked out, right? Like, you know, like some other, like, sects of people would yeah, probably yeah, be. Yeah, because they're right? urban liberals, yeah. right? And so yeah. they would feel too guilty saying it out loud, but it's really what they mean, right? Yeah, and, and, it's, that, and that's why you organize as, like, a group of people like the urbanists, too. It's like, it's yeah. a collective movement to do that, yeah. right? But the, but the thing is, it's like, uh, you know, th- we came into this when we talked about the bike lane shit, and we talked about how it was disingenuous and dishonest of them to say that, well, the people criticizing bike lanes in places like when we talked about Minneapolis and stuff like that, it wasn't that they hated bikes and wanted to fuck cars yeah. or anything like that. It's that they understood that this was part of a process of gentrification that meant that, yes, even though some uh, public infrastructure is being built, and that's great because it never gets built in America and all this kind of stuff, they would never be allowed to use it because that's how America actually works, yep. right? Public infrastructure is not for the public. Public infrastructure is for wealthy people, which is enforced through policing, gentrification, et cetera, right? Which is why it's always such a hot battle about getting cops back on the trains in Seattle is, you know, all the fucking nerd urbanists want them back. They all complain how scared they feel on the fucking light rail and shit, which I read the light rail. It's fine. Like, it's not scary at all. What are you talking about? But they're like, what they're scared of is like, I saw a poor person on it. Why are they still in this? I mean, these are the same people who like fetishize New York and everything. And I feel like they just haven't been there because like, I mean, imagine like, You, again, you see a lot of people on the subway, right? Like, that's, like, the whole point of public transportation is that the public is on it, yeah. you know? Well, I remember, it, you know, over by uh, Lefferts, over by Prospect Garden in Brooklyn, I remember that area gentrified, knowing people that live there pre-gentrification, and the uh, the sort of tension and stuff, right? Like, yeah. uh, like, I saw them put up the first neighborhood watch sign in their apartment, and it was because, like, all the people in the apartment were like, you know, all these white people are moving in, they all do drugs. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, the tension of, you know, the first, when they opened the first, like, goofy gastro pub, like, yeah, yeah, you know, in right. the area, and one of, you know, one of the high school teachers talking about how their students were getting yelled at by these fucking shitheads, you know, new move-ins at the fucking Brooklyn gastro pub, who were yelling at the, like, black students walking by because, you know, they thought they saw litter or something, you know, and, you know. <laughs> they were being over- too noisy. <laughs> yeah, and overhearing people, you know, in these, again, goofy, like, uh, gastro pubs so that, that started to take the place of the, like, Jamaican restaurants and stuff, overhearing them talk about, like, 
oh, you know, the neighborhood's getting so much better now and stuff like that. And, like, that's who urbanists are, right? Yeah. Like, they're not there because they like the city. They're not there because they want it to be, you know, that they give a shit about its history. They're there to change it. They're there to turn it into a playground for capital. Yeah, like I mean, it's, it's, it's like capitalist settler logic, right? Yeah. It yeah, is yeah, settler yeah. logic. Yeah, it's settler logic, right? Yeah. And, but the thing is, is that, you know, there was a similar article that you had uh, shown us, Greg, uh, that was in the Times, that basically they use the, you know, it, it's hard to track things because you can't acknowledge class as a category in America, but using sort of credit scores as like a stand-in mm -hmm. for class, they're able to show that like, oh, what's happening in Seattle is literally everybody but rich people are moving out and rich people are moving in. Like, this is the current population dynamic of Seattle. Yeah. Point out that it's actually, like, the middle class that's getting, like, liquidated the fastest, but, you know... Uh, Which, by the way... Because well, the, the poors are basically, like, roaches. Stuck. It's hard to get yeah. rid of people like me. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well, we get rid of Brian. Stuck. We can't, like... Well, and also, it's like... Well, part of the, it's not like my house was great or anything. So part of the reason why I was there for so long is I can't move. Like, I can't buy a house. I can't. Yeah. It's, like, financially almost impossible to, you know, like, start over-renting at a new place, right? Uh, so for a lot of poor people, it, it, you know, you that's why the police exist, right? It, you know, that's why you send the cops to go fucking murder them in an eviction fucking yeah. you know, thing. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's it, the poor are kind of, like, hard to get rid of in a certain way, right? Uh, but, like, middle class people, you just shove them out. Yeah. Right? You buy them right. out, right? And that's what's been happening in Seattle in a large way. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the the class dynamic of the city is changing dramatically. And, you know, urbanists, they want to point to, like, the dynamism of cities or whatever. But if that's their dynamism, like, I don't fucking want any part of that's not yeah. for, That's not dynamism for me. What what dynamism are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? You know, that's, yeah, that's that's just fucking segregation. Well, yeah. I'm like, I know you guys know, but that... You you know, you were referencing this, but yesterday, King County Sheriffs went to evict someone in Ballard. Yeah. And the eviction moratorium having lapsed finally in, mm -hmm. on March 1st. And uh, uh, and that person is dead. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a silver lining to that story. but Yeah, <laughs> I mean, nobody gets no, too excited. He's still alive. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, the... Um, and who knows what ha who knows how that happened? Yeah, the the, but the 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 whole story is there's not a lot of details. Yeah, and, not a lot know, of details. I have my assumptions from the beginning, but, you yeah. know. Um, but uh, a classic story of uh, uh, the police had one story uh, that involved, uh, of course, them being total victims and not doing a lot of shooting of their own, and it's already and even though they've tried to suppress all information on this, it's now come out that. Every the, the the three cops who were there, all of them were shooting into the apartment. So, you know, they were shooting. shooting the they were shooting into one of the other deputies who was there with them. <laughs> you know, in a little friendly fire, and then having to find a way to make sure that uh, you know, that got covered up. Who knows? It did. You know, <laughs> it, it the story did say. Uh, the bullet slipped underneath the yeah. vest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Slipped <laughs> underneath the vest and out his back. And I'm just thinking, was it in his back? Yeah. Did his yeah. own did out his own his colleague back. put it through his back accidentally? Well, and since when that has how it's been out slipped out back. the front? Well, since when has his... a poor person been given the latitude in a newspaper that like the police get when they shoot somebody where the bullet all of a sudden has its collided? Own, like, mind yeah, stuff, right. right. You know? Like a I, clash with the yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like man's man's belly clashes with a bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the sort of neutral language yeah. slipped under the vest. Yeah, right. I don't know. Like, you know, color be suspicious. 
course, uh, because you know the the King County Sheriff's Department seems to have like uh, completely, you know, uh, uh, circled the wagons on this, and is you know obviously trying to let's just say control the narrative of what happened. But yeah, I mean, somebody's. I mean, like the now. sheriffs are probably so baffled. They're like, damn, we haven't done an eviction in Ballard since like '06. We thought all these people were gone, man. Well, ironically, from the article, at least, it sounds like they've been trying to evict this person since like 2020. Yeah, but they were stopped by uh, the various <laughs> the like, dang moratorium, yeah, moratorium yeah. and things like that. Yeah, and it's you know it's a really tragic story, you know, but. I think that's the thing I said in a vacuum, this sort of urbanist argument makes sense about putting the light rail station where they want to put it. Right. But the thing is, is that life isn't in a vacuum. Right. And those are real people with real lives whose lives you're essentially going to ruin by forcing them out of these places and really force them into positions of, I mean, because particularly in the ID and some of those apartments and stuff like that, you're talking people who've lived there for a decade, two decades who are not paying actually market rate rents and yeah. things like that. They're paying well below that. And you're effectively destroying their lives by forcing them out, right? Which is what you're doing. And they shouldn't kid themselves about that. And well, like, there's no answer for what to do for those people that you're throwing out. Well, and that's that's the thing. Yep. This shouldn't be yeah. a, just such a destructive process. Yeah, but like, it doesn't have to be. Okay, some of the complaints here from the community groups that, uh, Krieg has uh, collated here. Uh, dis- disruption. Uh, I mean, we already read about yeah displacement. Another is disruption. According to Sound Transit, building the Fourth Avenue station would increase congestion on Fourth Avenue South, Sixth uh, Avenue South, Maynard Avenue, blah blah blah. Neighborhood groups worry traffic would drive down business and make it more difficult for emergency vehicles to respond. This would affect 100 active buses. Now. <sighs> Disruption to traffic while you're building like a major infrastructure project really should be a stupid complaint. But, sure. but, mitigation. Morales said the city, the county, and Sound Transit could pump as much public benefit into disruptive infrastructure projects as it can, but she does not believe the government can, quote, mitigate displacement. State law prohibits cities from enacting rent control and gifting public funds that could help businesses and neighbors keep up with lost profits and rising costs. That said, the city could set up some sort of means-tested grant program, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Oh, well, shit. Okay, here's the thing. So, like, gets called out there, like, a couple, some basic things, like rent control that are Mm -hmm. just illegal under state law. But that's just really the highlight, the the really, like, bold-faced announcement that no systems exist in our system, in American capitalism, to prevent any of the destruction that we're talking about here, the the, the demolition of a neighborhood of people, yeah, like you say, who are not, who've lived there or long have neighborhood connections are living in the city at a rate below market rent, probably a lot of them, businesses doing the same thing. Um, there's nothing that exists. It should, this should be a basic, obvious thing. I, I would love to be out there with the urbanist chanting, like just a sign that just says eminent domain, you know, like yeah, yeah, just yeah. chanting, like it's the greatest like <laughs> legal concept. Like yeah. I, 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 that would be me. 
but in our in this shitty fucking country this this is real like th- this is the same process like i mean it's like the way the highway was put through the fucking city right yeah, yeah. you just evict the poor people and demolish their homes yeah. you know and, and what happens to them who cares hopefully they leave right? yeah that's the always that's the, why we're putting it through yeah, their neighborhood yeah. right and it's like that's not look it's not exactly the same here it's not why it's going into to the neighborhood it's geographically a, a good place it's going to serve the neighborhood theoretically but the yeah. thing is the truth is it's going to serve different people yeah. who are richer just like the fucking bike lanes just like all of this shit any anything you do to improve anything that is the curse. That is the uh, the monkey's paw, essentially, of yes. capitalism. Yeah, it, it's not. There is no good outcome here. It it is. It does feel like really the right thing to do to like make the choice for the future of transit in the city to be not shitty. To like do the thing and build it right for the future. And like basically, I'm sympathetic to that. You know, like yeah, probably if you're gonna make these massive fucking transit investments. Yeah, you should probably do it right. But that's the choice you have. You you don't have the choice to do that and mitigate and keep people in their neighborhood at the price they're paying. Because we can't think of all the things we don't get to have. Everybody needs fucking rent control. Yeah. Yeah. We everybody is all small businesses, the restaurants, they're all getting fucking shut down. And the the thing is the international district is already and has long been fucked. Yeah, yeah. Like, this has been going on for years, the gentrification of the International District. There are people still hanging on, the last of these communities, but they've been saying for years down there that people are getting forced out. And this issue, because it is, um, it's a big pro- single project, It there is a veneer of democratic input around it, it is and has been sort of politically contested, and it's on the sort of uh, terrain of... Uh, you know, legitimate political complaint to like complain about transit, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, expansion. Yeah. And they're not allowed to just say, we need to control housing prices in Seattle, in Washington state, in America. That's not something that's on the like allowable political terrain that you, you have any democratic input on. So like you get to complain about this. This is what there is in front of you. Even when mm. you've seen for years that your neighborhood's just like, you know, being forced out uh, for 20 years, like, yeah, just like the rest of the city, there's no way to make that better. We have no systems. We're specifically not allowed to do anything that would ameliorate this. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, even not that long ago in the sort of late 30s, early 40s, when they started knocking down the, like, urban tenements that existed in Mm -hmm. most American cities... You know, the idea was we're going to knock the tenements down, but we're also simultaneously building these large public housing projects. And we're going to move the people from the tenements into the public housing projects. Right. So that's how like Prudigo, that was part of like the agreement and like building Prudigo and stuff. And the thing is, like, look, there's lots of things that are bad about that. They still like segregated those housing projects. They put them in areas that didn't threaten real estate, at least initially. Right. Into areas that didn't have like a lot of uh, prospects and things like that. Isolated the people in them from you know jobs and stuff like that but they at least were like well, if we get rid of these people's housing we got to give them something in replacement like to live in right yeah. and shit 
we don't need to do that anymore. Like, not even a, not even a pretense that once we destroy these people's housing, we're going to give them something in well, return, and, you know? And it's this just, is all operating on the free market. They run away, you know? Right? This isn't, like, this isn't even, like, yeah. building the highway through yeah, town yeah. because, like, they're not really, they're not even talking, the complaint here isn't even about demolishing actual housing. It's just the on, it's going to be one more nail in the coffin. yeah. It's going to be the last nail in the coffin oh, yeah, of affordability yeah. yes. in that yeah. part of town. Yeah, but this is happening. It's already happening there. It's already happening everywhere. Yeah, yeah. to the to the transit minded urbanists who are like, but we have to do this right for the future. I am totally sympathetic to that. Like, of course, this big thing. But the thing is, it's that ultimately is like founded on a belief in the future. Yeah, that like any of this can work out. Like, yes, we because every little bit helps. We just make these right choices. Like. See, this city could work in the future be and in that future we'll have good transit and that will contribute to like shit being better and the problem is it won't this is yeah. going to be a shittier and shittier city to live in for all the poor and middle class people getting forced out of it more and more every year and eventually it's going to be a shitty city to live in for only rich people. And then, yeah. yeah, and it'll just be an empty, it'll be Bellevue, you know, yeah. the most like dystopic, like creepy, <laughs> uh, like Omega Man ass city, like mm -hmm. uh, a city without America. You know? yep. And like just a hellhole with, with good transit, you know, yeah. that no one can use. Yeah. That, that is basically used to get. People, I mean, they're building these fucking lines now out to places where the poor can live. Yeah, Theoretically, well, though, I don't know how, though, the only people who are going to be using these fucking trains are the poors coming, driving into, uh, in from the exurbs to park and rides, get on, to get on the fucking light rail and come into town where parking's too expensive and work their jobs and then, you know, make the same two hour commute back home mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. Well, and it, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, capitalism always at odds with itself, too. I mean, things like public transit, like putting a light rail station in or, you know, in New York, traditionally putting like a subway station in are drivers of real estate prices. The grand irony being, though, over the last 40 years, you know, part of the neoliberal turn was trying to turn, you know, uh, the wealthy against public investment. Right. And one of the ways they did it was really hyping this idea of public utilities as being inherently dangerous and dirty and whatever, right? So you get the sort of, uh, you know, late 90s depiction in like Sex and the City of, you know, mm -hmm. you know, wealthy or wannabe wealthy Manhattanites uh, would never go on the subway. Never. Right? And you get these things, I mean, modern day projects that are quite good, like BART and stuff like that in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. where you have all these fucking nerds who've moved in the city and have been the people fucking wrecking it. Uh, who are like, well, I would never go next. It's just so dangerous, even though it's perfectly fucking fine. Um, you know, it's like you're not like a black teen on the BART, so the police aren't going to fucking murder you. So, like, you're fine. Yeah, what are you worried right? about? No. Yeah, what are you worried about, right? And the same thing with, you know, the uh, light rail. When you get on the light rail, like, you know, outside of some just very select times, even then, it's not particularly busy. 
Like, I've never been on the light rail and been like, damn, there's a lot of people on the light rail, you know? Even at, like, rush hour, like, which is its busy No, you're time, almost guaranteed like, to yeah. get a seat every yeah, time yeah. you're on the yeah, light which, rail. As you might know, in New York, it's not the case, no, right? No, it's not at all. Hour, right? Uh, you're guaranteed to have somebody grab your seat. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, real thing. <laughs> real thing happens. But, like, the, but the thing is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the sort of urban fear-mongering that is required to maintain the police presence and the police aggressiveness that's used to, you know, run the poor out so that real estate can come in and sweep in afterwards and essentially do gentrification, right? And so, again, I mean, it creates these tensions where, yeah, you could have uh, the the city of the rich that the urbanists want in Seattle and have the public transit still just deteriorate into nothing, right? Because none yeah. of them want to use it, you know? And they'll have created their own privatized solutions to that to that scenario right uh years ago we read that article about how i think it was an um uh uh bainbridge or whatever they were gonna like get their own fire department or whatever they basically were gonna, like get rid of like all set of utilities <laughs> just have like you know uh you know privatized like fire departments and stuff but like you know that is a world the rich could very easily create and they have you know, they have had this ideology both drummed into them by weird freaks like Milton Friedman, but also it's just something that they believe uh, that, you know, uh, why do we need this public investment? I can just buy that, you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> you could see the light rail investment just collapse in that way. Uh, but either way, I mean, don't expect people who know they're about to be displaced by this, who are about to be excluded by this, to fight for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's not, a, that's not a future for them. It's apocalypse to them. Right. And it's just delusional to even expect them to do that, right? Yeah. Like, be honest about what these conditions yeah. are. You're there to ruin these people's lives. You shouldn't be shocked that they're not happy that you're there. Yeah. You know? And uh, and like I said, in America, especially today, and more so with every passing day, given, you know, the economic straits that people find themselves in and just the wild, you know, sort of swing and and, and wealth and inequality and stuff like that, that... Uh, you know, like you really are when you force people out of their housing, you are ruining their lives. Yeah. Like that's not hyperbole. That's not whatever. Like you are doing <laughs> extreme physical harm to them. You're increasing the chances of dying in the next year. You're increasing the chances of dying of a heart attack. All that kind of you are ruining their fucking life. I mean, life. in a lot of and cases, you take, you're going to make them homeless. Them. Yeah, you're making people home. Like, where do these yeah. people think homeless people come from? I mean, I know that most of these guys think that, like, oh, yeah, we like know where they think. Something. Yeah, but like, you know, these are actual human beings who came from somewhere, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, it's we all like to play the game of, oh, they all come here from everywhere else. But like, even then, like, why aren't they living in that other place then, right? Like, um, but yeah, you know, I, I just wish that someone would just be honest about what they're doing. You know, it's 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 less fun. You can't have as much fun on Twitter about it or whatever, and. You know, going, oh, NIMBYs or whatever. Uh, but, you know, like, at least be honest about the world you're creating. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, is for most of these urbanists, like, everything they want is there. Like, real estate does whatever it wants. Like, you know, tenants, you know, renters have zero protections in this state, right? Like, effectively, you know. Like, when my landlord violates my tenants' rights, what am I going to do, call SPD? Yeah. What are they, yeah. they going to do, right? Like... So, I mean, the whole thing's a fucking joke. They got everything they wanted. This is the world you, that they want, right? And they just, you know, they're just mad that it's not fully... Yeah, they, you know, they're they're, they're on the accelerator, and they're mad yeah. that they can't go flat out. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah, this is the world well, they, they want. It they, they have a fantasy that, look, if you're a liberal, you have a, you know, a 
progressive sense of history. You're like, if we just built every little bit helps. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Every little bit is building to something better. So if we just build transit correctly, that'll solve all these problems. We'll have less cars, less traffic. And you know what? The city will be better. It'll be this. It'll be that city of the future. You know the 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 meme. You know, like if we yeah, if yeah. we just had good transit. Mm. And you know what? Uh, because there'll be less cars, we'll avoid global warming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right? No it's more like, fossil fuels, man. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. No. That's yeah. not happening either. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing. No transit you build in America is, is yeah stopping that off, from happening. Yeah. It's doing that. Like. Yeah. They will keep burning that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, Actually, they'll probably produce more to make up the cost. You know. Yeah, like cost goes down by half. Sell double, you'll make the same well, profit, right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. it, if you wanted to do like uh, the nerdy freakonomics take, right? Uh, what's happening with the suburbs is you're displacing the traditional sort of suburban development uh, that you saw in like say the '60s and '70s, particularly during white flight, where white professionals moved out to the suburbs, people with high incomes and things like that, right? And we're just place it to the third world model, which is how every other city on the planet looks, yeah. which is the poor people are now yeah. all shoved out into the suburbs and excerpts, right? Yeah. And the thing is, again, if you want to do like the uh, shittiest uh, like uh, Freakonomics take, who's more likely to own a fancy, super expensive electric car? All those professionals who just moved back into the city. Who's more likely to have cars with bad fuel mileage that are old, that are beat up, right? That have more, you know, pollution or whatever. All the poor people you just put into an infrastructure that can only be traversed via car, right? And it's like, you know, uh, so even even the goal of like, oh, we're doing this because it's going to be better. It's like the, all of this, it's in their head. Like it's all fantasy. Well, it's in their because, field of view. Because yeah, because it doesn't disrupt their very comfortable lives. So this is just how they, yeah. they get to walk down a street yeah. Yeah, and see themselves. a bunch of Teslas parked in driveways. Yeah. You know, because their <laughs> uh, their owners bike and light rail to work. You know. Yeah. And uh, and they don't have to see the pores or their coal rolling cars. You know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, and they, they do have to see me. They have to get stuck behind me going. 15 yeah. below the speed limit, um, <laughs> yeah. like belching black smoke out of the back if it's cold in the morning, you know? Yeah, and but I mean, like, other than me, the cockroach, you can't, you'll never drive out of this fucking city. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're able to like translate that too into, which people don't know is we're actually in a, this, uh, Greg's boat actually is coal fed. Like, we're, <laughs> yeah, right. We're feeding coal into the furnace. Here. That's why we're not all speaking at once because, yeah. like, uh, at one any given time, one of us got to shovel. Seen yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but this boat will never sink. But the thing is, it's like, you know, even when they do see those things, they can just easily write it off by just applying the cultural war framework. And we talked about this again with the bike lanes thing yeah. of they just say, oh, that's just like uh, white Republicanship. It's like, yeah, but the communities traditionally that have complained about bike lanes have been like black communities, poor communities, right? But they just don't address that anyway. And just like when they'll see the ex-urban poor, you know, driving around their cars or whatever, they'll say, oh, those are just those Trump people out there and write them off or whatever. When in reality, you know, those are the white Trumpites of the suburbs, but the reality is in Seattle, because of the economic segregation that is very intense in the city and getting more intense by the day, all the suburbs of Seattle are less white than Seattle. <laughs> like, Seattle's the whitest place in America and getting more so by the day, right? And so, you know, but uh, that will not impact them in any way. They'll just apply the... Uh, 
culture war sort of uh, lens to it, which, I mean, that's why that lens exists, is so you could just avoid reality altogether. Yeah. Just skip off. And no, when you're, like, a slave of the logic yeah. of capitalism, like, that's yeah. where the end, that's where yeah. it ends up every single time. What's why culture war is a product of the 1970s, of when it was, right, is because that was when all political choices were taken off the table, yep. right? Everything was pre-written. You could no longer in any way make a substantial decision through the standard channels of politics in America, right? And so people had to be given something to occupy their time and their brain when, as the lives got worse, as Paul Volcker said, as their, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, style of living had to decline, right? They had to have something to occupy their brain, and that was fucking culture war. Yeah, and that's know? where we are today. That's why it's like important. Where like you know, again, in a vacuum, urbanism is like a great idea, but urbanism has to be in the lens and in the analysis of socialism, right? Like yeah. you can't have a free market capitalist lens when you're, you know, analyzing and viewing urbanism, right? It creates these intense contradictions that can only be resolved through like pain and misery, right? Yeah. Like uh, if we, we want a strong community, there has to actually be, uh, you know, pillars and social services that, you know, support a community to still thrive when you put a bike lane there, right? Yeah. When you put, uh, you know, your uh, transit stop there, well, right? The, that community's going to have to they have access to capital. They're going to have to own yeah. some real estate. Own real estate or yeah. to be, like, guaranteed real estate, yeah. Yeah. like, from the state, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say in the laws of the universe that if you put in this station and redevelop the area that you couldn't just do a one-for-one -one replacement of, like, hey... Uh, we're going to rebuild, you know, because, you know, in a lot of, you know, communities and stuff like that where gentrification happens, buildings are old. They are falling apart. Yeah. Like, they haven't been kept up with and things like that because that's how landlords treat the poor in America, right? But the solution doesn't have to be knock the building down, put up a five over one and throw all the old towns Yeah, with the, with the Chipotle underneath. Yeah, yeah. you can guarantee them a spot in the new building that you build at the same rent or less or whatever, right? Or, I mean, radical idea of uh, free because they're human beings. They need a place to live, uh, right? You know, like you Let could, them go to the Stumptown Brewery that just opened up, you yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like, you know, there's no law of the universe that says you can't do that, right? But that's not profitable for real estate. That's not profitable for capital. So it won't happen, right? Yeah, because those what, are the only driving forces in this marketplace, right? Yeah, it is like no. private capital, you yeah, know? Yeah, and that's one of those decisions that has been completely off the books at least since the 1970s right and so you know it can't be debated it can't be discussed can't even be, yeah it can't yeah, be mentioned yeah. exactly yeah, right that, like that, it's that this is, like realism lens where like it's yeah. like this is just the way it, it perpetually is that's yeah. why that's why with silicon valley bank we didn't need, there wasn't even conversation about nationalization right there yep. wasn't even it was like how do we get this private bank to just like survive and remain private with the same ownership structure and everything right like yep. there it wasn't even a topic of conversation to have a public option right yep. like that's just not not allowed anymore well, i remember the bank bailouts in 2009 having conversations with people and saying why not just write off all the uh the loans, right? All the home loans. Yeah. Like one way to, you know, prime the pump and put the banks back in the black, right, is the federal government could just step in and just say, look, you know, one time only, just delete all the loans off your book. Yeah. Right? And the thing is, that would have recapitalized the banks in a sense, right? Because now the red debt is gone. Yep. Right? So now they only have the assets that still, you know, are making money, right? At the same time, it would have made all these homeowners hold instead of just throwing them out on the fucking street. And 
they would have had all this extra money all of a sudden. I mean, this <laughs> classic like Keynesian shit, yeah. right? Of like yeah. that they could have gone out and spend it. And they actually spend the money, unlike fucking. Well, rich and the banks would have had like a bunch that. of new customers new for customers, uh, yeah. home equity loans. Yeah, for doing future crimes. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> like, but the thing is, like, that is a thing that that's not radical communist shit, right? That's no, just boring that's old Keynes, like thirties yeah. capitalism kind of stuff. That's, right? that's literally before the seventies. That was like basically almost a very popular yeah. like capitalist economic theory. Keynesianism. When you would talk about stuff like that in 2009, 2010, people would stare at you like you're from outer space, like you're speaking another language, yet somehow just bailing the banks out while also like throwing it, foreclosing on you know a, you know a million homes or whatever, somehow that was made sense. You know that that is a logic that totally makes sense and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, and that just goes to show that like there there's no ability to have discussions about these things where the terms set forth by real estate capital aren't just assumed and essentially considered a law of science. Right. You know, like that just has to be like the baseline assumption that whatever real estate capital wants, that is just the law. Right. And that we just have to work within that. And uh, yeah, sorry. I just don't accept that. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah, that's bullshit. Well, gentlemen, we've done what we do best. We've taken the suffering, the complaints, the concerns of, a real community on the edge of destruction being ground under by capitalism. And we've, we've used it. We've harnessed that to broadly and brazenly characterize a different group of people who we hate. Yeah. And yep. it's a little thing called culture war, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and God damn, if I don't enjoy it. Uh, so uh, yeah, guys, good potting with you. Um, As always, love being on the boat. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah, from cyberspace. Indeed. Bye. Bye. Bye.